Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know, it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast, and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items, like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm the Ryan half. And I'm the Brian half. And this is the Bible Bistro. together, we make the whole bistro. (laughs) We make the whole bistro. This is a podcast all about the Bible, theology. the whole bistro. I'm trying to say my shit. Okay, go ahead. Bible, theology, and all things things related to the Christian faith. And yes, he's got the whole world in his hands. And Brian and I. The whole bistro in his you, hands. Uh, you're the one who usually tries to make this a musical. I know, but so. I usually do it after I get through my <laughs> introductory stick okay. of sorts. All right, and then but, and then I talk for the next hour, and then we're done. <laughs> well, the last couple episodes, I've been opening my mouth more. That's true, and I, and hopefully you will to this episode too. Yes. Well, we are back. We were supposed to be together, but Brian, <sighs> I'm busy. Well, you were busy too. To I be, was. To be we're fair. still again. We're in the busy season. Everybody's busy, but we're doing remote again today. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's all good. We're back in the bistro, which makes it a good day. Despite so, despite the rumors, we are not mad at each other and unable no, we're to be not. in the same room together. That's correct. And we're both wearing blue today. Brian, yeah. what is the brand of your shirt today? Well, I don't know, but I do have underneath. I have my, I have my my Carhartt on underneath. Yes. So. Well, I'm also sporting. <laughs> I have the dark blue. I have I the, the light blue. blue car, car, Carhartt. Carhartt light blue. Not Henley. the navy, but the dark, the royal blue Carhartt. Yes. Well, Carhartt, if you're listening again. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Carhartt. Hashtag Carhartt. We're gonna get this crossover between Carhartt yeah. workwear and yeah. Bible Bistro. But the anyway, spirituality of Carhartt. Mm. Oh. Mm. 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 That's like that that mm, when someone says something mm, that's profound. Mm. Anyway, we're back in the bistro right. today, and we are again talking about what are we going to talk about. Well, you you brought up a good question that a listener a had had brought in quite some time ago. <laughs> yes, quite some time ago, we had a question. Someone had been listening to the podcast, yeah. and uh, had this question about the kingdom. Of heaven yeah so good you know question. they'd been reading through matthew and seeing this yeah. concept of kingdom of heaven and the question was basically like mm. this seems like a new thing this brought up this idea of the kingdom of heaven and new thing compared to like the old testament compared to the okay. old testament yeah like right. compared to the old testament um this seems like a new <clears throat> thing um and just asking about like the concept of heaven okay. um you know did 
Yeah. Is this a new concept? Is it like, and the Old Testament doesn't seem to be there. Um, is, it, is Jesus introducing something new? Is he actually speaking of heaven as a place? Sure. Or is it more of a spiritual reality yeah. uh, that we're question. living out right now? So yeah, we've, we've talked a little bit about the idea of realized eschatology as opposed to kind of the future eschatology that a lot of us grew up on, that kind of thing. So today is all about <clears throat> the kingdom, kingdom of, heaven. of heaven. And so shout out to Mike. Is that the one? Yeah, who, it was Mike. Yeah. Yeah, and don't give up. It, you know, if you two years ago, if you, if you put in this question, then so we'll eventually get around to answering. It was real. You know, you had this realized question answered. <laughs> that's it was a not future little, hope. It was a future, future hope, <laughs> and it is now the questionology time. <laughs> so, kingdom of heaven is an. It is an interesting question, and um, the Greek. Uh, the Greek or the Greek, the Hebrew is it, it comes from Malakut and then Shemayim, which Shemayim is just the word for heaven, right? Okay. Malakut is the word for kingdom, and so the the Hebrew word for king is Melek. Okay, so Malakut okay. then is you know the king's dumb, you know, like where where the king's reign is, we could say a rule. Say more about that in just a minute. So that's the word. Um, so this it, it, it so he says, you know, the the phrase or the idea doesn't occur in the Old Testament. Uh, and there's kind of two parts to this question. One has to do with the kingdom and one has to do with heaven. And I think we're going to answer the kingdom part of it. And I think the heaven part will come along. I think you'll see what what we're doing with this. Okay. But when we think about this idea of kingdom, um, what I'm going to say is, I don't, and I'm going to show you something here in just a minute, but I don't think it is entirely absent from the Old Testament, this con- this concept, I will say. Okay. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, Ryan, this is your chance to talk a little oh, bit. Yes. Talk, <laughs> talk to me about kings in the Old Testament. What 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 kind of things do we have that we've, we've talked about some of this before, but when you think about kings in the Old Testament, what are some of the ideas that we have there? Uh, well... You know, we start with the three, the Saul, David, Solomon, the okay. big ones there. First um, kings of Israel. Yeah. The first kings of Israel. And then after that, it turns into uh, an interesting world of terribleness. Right. I mean, well, not that yeah. Saul wasn't terrible in his own right. They all it, had their problems here. Right. Remembering Saul was the first king you yeah. know, of Israel. And like you said, he had his own issues where he, he turned aside from God. Go ahead. A yeah, little yeah. Bit further. David, David had his promise, but David yeah. had a promise as well. Mm, sure. And then we had Solomon who we don't hear about too much of his awfulness until, you know, like he the ends end. poorly. Yeah. And then we hear from his son and the people around him afterwards that right. it was not necessarily a great, uh, great reign for the people of Israel there as well. So right. uh, I see a lot of the Kings being failures. You know. Okay, so that you know the Book of Kings. Then we, we you mentioned the di- the division of the kingdom between you know between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and then from that on, it basically traces through, and we see kind of a gradual down, or not gradual, not so gradual <laughs> for the northern kingdom, but a, a downhill slide into idolatry, into leading the people into sin. You know, all, all these kind of things. Even before that, though, even when we go back to to before Saul, I'm thinking a little bit about. Samuel, you know, and and the oh, people yeah. remember the people had this desire for a king, and, and, and Samuel thought, oh, they're rejecting me, and God exactly. says, no, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, which is an important point. So, so here's here's God's plan. Here's here's what God, you know, when He's established the the law, when He brings the people out of Egyptian captivity, the idea is He is going to be the one who rules them, and. and 
what that's called in the ancient world is a king, <laughs> right? The one who's right. the one who's calls the shots, the one who's in charge, the one who you follow, you you bow your knee to, you you give allegiance to. That's a king, and so king becomes. I, I, I'm going to say it this way, and and this is kind of imperfect, but but it becomes a metaphor that God uses to talk about His own rule, and He says to Samuel, "There, they've rejected me, and they've wanted a, a human king." And, and you know, so there's you know there's those problems that that we're talking about. But I said we see the beginning of this idea, and I'm glad you brought up David and the promise to him, because this is a passage. I know I've referred to this passage before. If I haven't, I've really messed up my job. But Second uh, Samuel chapter seven is a huge passage. Uh, I've mentioned before. If you look at, the, are you looking that looking that up? I am looking at, at it. the very first part of Second Samuel chapter seven. It says that at this time uh, Israel had rest from all of its enemies around him. So this is after David has been on the throne for a while. It's after he has led successful military campaigns, uh, uh, and uh, especially the Philistines, he was able to kind of put put them to to rest, to, so they were no longer troubling Israel. So there was a time of relative, let's call it relative peace in the land during this period of time. And it gives kind of David this this time to contemplate. And he's like, you know, it's not right that the Ark of the Covenant is still in a tent. We all have nice houses now. We've we've moved into Israel. You know, we've right. we're in the promised land. So we really should build a house for God. Uh, and, and of course, you know, the Nathan the prophet off of his own wisdom says, oh, you know, everything you've done, God's blessed so far. So you might as well do this. But on the way back to his home, Nathan gets this word from God that basically says, you need to tell David um, that he's not to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for him. Talking about a dynasty, a a lineage of kings who are going to succeed him. Now, I want you to read then about halfway through chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11. Mm -hmm. So there's usually a paragraph break in modern translations there. Mm-hmm. So we always say 2 Samuel chapter 7, 11, B through 16. Um, so by the way, that, you know, I think when I was teaching, most students knew that this was a answer to a question on most of my quizzes at some point. All right. Here, well, here we go. go. Yeah. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever." Okay, so a couple of important things here. There's there, there's an immediate fulfillment of this because Solomon is the one who literally builds a house, right for for the temple. You know, he builds the temple, but he says that there's going to be one who succeeds you, and, and and notice this idea at the end of this that this is going to be an eternal kingdom, and it talks about his kingdom will be established forever. Do you, do you see that? Mm-hmm. So so this idea of an eternal kingdom does exist here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God takes the language of kings and kingdoms and and uses that to talk about something that he's going to do in the future, right? Something that he's going to do where he's going to establish this eternal kingdom. Now in Daniel, 
Daniel's later, obviously, it's during during that period of um, uh, of exile, Babylonian exile, that we see uh, at least the first part of Daniel written. I think all of Daniel, but that's a whole different issue. Um, so look at the very first part of Daniel. This is during the reign of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, and you might remember that this is when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that no one can interpret, uh, and so Daniel comes in and he says, I can't interpret it, but I there is a God in heaven, and he gives interpretations, uh, and so he gives him the interpretation of this dream. You might you remember the dream, what what Nebuchadnezzar, it's kind of a strange dream. Is it the skinny cows? And no, the no, 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 that's a different no, one. This that's... is, this is the, big, the big statue. Oh, uh, yes, 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 okay. and the feet that crumble. and Exactly, so feet and, feet and legs made of iron and and uh, and clay, uh, but a head made of gold, uh, chest and and uh, arms of silver, uh, belly and thighs of bronze, and then legs of silver, and then feet of clay and um, uh, iron. iron. So it, he says this is talking about four kingdoms that are to come. And then when he's given the interpretation, he says these are going to be four kings that come after Nebuchadnezzar. You are that head of gold, is how it begins. He says these four other kings are going to kingdoms that are going to come. We actually have a whole episode on the interpretation of this, I think. Yes. Uh, so go back and look to that. Look at that. Uh, search for it. You know, just watch everything between now and then, and and it'll be good for you. <laughs> and I, I was going to say this. This is one of those interesting questions that brings together so many of the things that we've talked about already. Right. Um, but it says then that there's going to do you remember what happens in the dream then? There's there's a a rock that comes down that and grows into a mountain. It crushes the the the, the statue, right? Mm-hmm. And and then it grows to become a mountain that fills the whole earth, okay? And and so here's Daniel's interpretation of this. This is in uh, uh, Daniel chapter 2 verse 44. You want me to read that? Sure. Yeah. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will in itself endure forever. Okay, another eternal kingdom refers back, I think, to this promise that was made to David. And, and so how is that kingdom described at the very beginning of that? Uh, that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left yeah. to another go, people. Go back even earlier than that. It says... Uh, in the time of those kings, oh, in the time of those kings, the God of Heaven will God set of up Heaven a, will set will, up a kingdom. Will set up a kingdom. So, what would you call that if the God of Heaven sets up a kingdom? What would you call that kingdom? Uh, the kingdom of the God of Heaven. <laughs> kingdom of God. You know, so yeah. that's what I'd call it. You know, God's yeah. kingdom. That, yeah. So, of is a way to show possession. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if it if it is the if it is the objective genitive, um, but or subjective genitive. But it uh, it, uh, it talks about this idea of the kingdom. His kingdom is going to be established, and it's going to be an eternal kingdom. It's not going to be like these other kingdoms, like the kingdom of Rome or the kingdom of Greece, kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, or any any of these other kingdoms that are talked about. It's going to be a different kind of kingdom. Chapter 4, later on. Now, this is after Nebuchadnezzar has this really weird experience where he, however we understand it, he he's a beast. He eats grass like a cow, and then God restores him to his own mind. And then he says this in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Whose kingdom? His kingdom. His kingdom. Who's he? Uh, The The most high God. Right. So so 
here's what people will tell you. Well, let's look at one more. And then, and so this idea of dominion too, by the way, dominion, the kingdom, you know, these are similar kind of ideas. They have to do with authority, the establishment of authority. Look at chapter seven, verses nine through 14. This is my favorite one. You have this vision that, that, that Daniel has of this one who's on a throne that's called the ancient of days. Okay. Which is talking about God almighty himself. And then read what it says. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming from uh, before him, thousands upon thousands attended him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, the court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, His and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, now we've talked about this past. This is a Wow. <laughs> There's a lot happening here. It's an apocalyptic vision, mm-hmm. right? So it uses these symbolic kind of languages. His head is white as wool. Uh, we talked about this because this the, there's this guy named John, right, that, that was on the Isle of Patmos, wrote this little book called we call Revelation mm-hmm. and uh, the Apocalypse of John. And he uses these same kind of images to refer to Jesus, that right. Jesus is kind of the fulfillment of this of this idea. And 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 I want you to notice a couple of things. Of course, the horns and the and the beast. He he borrows those Im- images as well. But do you notice that idea of thrones being on a throne? These these are all symbolic ways to discuss what it means for someone to be in in power and authority over everyone. And that's what it says here, right? Every nation <laughs> worships him and, and comes and bows before him. And, and there again, that phrase, his kingdom. Um, uh, will endure forever. It's a forever kind of kingdom, and it's his kingdom. Now, so people will tell you. <laughs> you got to be careful about what people will tell you, Uh-oh. because what people will tell you is that the phrase "kingdom of God" is entirely absent from the Old Testament. And you know what? They're right. The phrase "kingdom of God" never occurs in the Old Testament. Never. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Neither one of those ever occur in the Old Testament. But the idea does, right? Right. I mean, you see, you see there this idea that God's kingdom. I mean, what do you call it, right? His kingdom, and it's talking about the Almighty God. And I've just shown you there's some other places as well. But these are the ones to me that are the clearest, and these are incredible. I think prophecies about what the kingdom of God stands for, what what it what it is uh, is about. Uh, so people are correct to say that the kingdom of God is entirely absent from the Old Testament. The phrase. But the concept is definitely there, and 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 it becomes an important one. Now, I will I will grant you this in the Old Testament. I don't think it's a major concept. It's not like everybody in in the in the Old Testament. I'm talking about. It's not like everybody's talking about it. But from the time of David on, what are they talking about? <laughs> right? They're talking about the coming of of the Christ, the the Anointed One, the Messiah. Who's going to be like David? Who's going to who's going to reign on reign on David's throne? So there is this what we call the messianic expectation uh, of this king who's going to come and rule. 
All right. That okay. becomes a, a huge. You look at the later Psalms. I almost brought out some Psalms, but you look at the later Psalms and the prophets. That's all they can talk about is this is this idea of a Messiah. They're stuck on it. And 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 what they're all referring back to is this prophecy that is probably the most important, one of the most important passages in the entire Old Testament, maybe the more, most important prophecy in the entire Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11b through 16, that I'm going to establish one who's going to come after David. We call him the son of David, who's going to rule on an eternal throne. Okay. Questions or comments on any of that? No, I mean it's uh, yeah. I, even though they, I mean, we've talked about this before, like and with yeah. other topics, is like the words not going to be precise in the Old Testament, okay. but we understand the concepts are there. And and Mike is shouting at the radio, except we're not on the radio, but Mike is shouting at his uh, whatever form that he listens to this or watches it on YouTube. He's going, "This is not the question. The question is about the kingdom of heaven." Well, we're going to get there. So I said that that's not a major. <laughs> It's not a major topic in the Old Testament, but then what do we have to look at? We have to look at the intertestamental period. Okay. All right. This is this is ground that we don't usually tread into. I mean, we've tried into it, but a few times. And and but I think it's important because you remember there's this 400 year period where the people of God are still thinking about stuff and they're still waiting. They're still in this period of of kind of no prophets around, but they're waiting in anticipation of what God is going to do. Uh, and they look back and they say, "Well, there's been periods of waiting before, right? We were we were waiting in the in in Egypt before we were we were um, uh, you know brought out of captivity there. We were waiting in Babylon, and before that that ended. So we're in another one of these periods where we're we're waiting for God's activity to continue in this in this major kind of way. Uh, and so I, I want to refer to uh, just a few books here." One of them we call the Wisdom of Solomon, and this one actually is in the collection of books that we call, as Protestants, we call the the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, this is not written during. This is not written. This has nothing to do directly with Solomon, other than somebody said, "Well, Solomon was a really wise guy, and he wrote these other books of wisdom." And so this these are this is wisdom that is set down during the intertestamental period. But it shows us, again, the reason we look at these books isn't because we believe that they're Holy Spirit-inspired. I, I don't believe these are Holy Spirit-inspired books. Okay. Know, so, so don't... Uh, deep don't fakes, come at us. Yeah, deep fakes are going to make me say something different there. But I'm sure people are concerned about that. But, yes. but, but these help us understand the way that people were thinking in the period of time leading up to the coming of Jesus. So when Jesus starts talking about stuff... It helps us understand how they're hearing it and and what he's speaking to. Mm-hmm. So this is from the wisdom of Solomon because I'm sure you don't have your apocrypha there in front of you. I don't. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll go ahead and read this. This is uh, chapter ten, verse ten. When a righteous man fled from his brother's wrath, it's talking about wisdom here. It's a personification of wisdom, very similar to what we see in the very beginning of the book of Proverbs. You might remember it's yeah. chapter three or four of Proverbs. We see this personification of wisdom as a female here, Sophia. Uh, when a righteous man fled from his brother's wrath, she guided him on straight paths. She showed him the kingdom of God and gave him knowledge of holy things. She prospered him from his labors uh, and increased the fruit of his toil. That's from the New Revised Standard Version um, uh, Apocrypha. So, so you see the phrase kingdom of God there never occurs. The phrase never occurs in the Old Testament. The idea does, but by the time we get to the early intertestamental period, 
we have the phrase kingdom of God occurring. I think it's a natural uh, kind of progression here. Of course, wisdom of Solomon would have been, would have been, um, you know, well, it, 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 we see the phrase actually, actually there. Now I'm going to talk about three books that I'll call apocryphal books. Okay. The first is the Psalm of Solomon. Um, and this is uh, chapter 17, verse one. Uh, and I'm not going to read the the superscript, but then it says, To the king, Lord, you yourself are our king forever hereafter. For in you, O God, does our soul uh, boast. So you see the idea there is that God is our king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was before. You remember when we go back to the Old Testament, that right. it, it's not you they've rejected Samuel. It's me they've rejected as king. But now this is this is a follower of God who's saying we recognize that He is our King, and especially now here's the interesting thing. Of course, we get into this period of time where people are in oppression to other nations, not Babylon, but mm-hmm. but we find we find Alexander and and his predecessor or successors, I should say, and and Rome. Okay, so this is who becomes the kind of the, the people here. And then it goes on and says this, 17 verse 2, How long is the time of a human life on the earth? As is his time, so also is his hope in him. But we hope in God, our Savior. For the strength of our God is forever with mercy, and the kingdom of our God is forever over the nations in judgment. And then this shows us kind of this this background we were talking about. Lord, you chose David as the king over Israel, and you swore to him regarding his descendants forever so that his kingdom would not fail before you. So, so you see, they're referring back to that promise that we read earlier in Second Second Samuel. But here okay. again, we find that idea, the kingdom of our God. Now, I'm going to talk here. This is a pop quiz for you. You don't even know it, Ryan. This is Assumption of Moses. <laughs> Chapter okay. ten, verse one. You remember the assumption? We remember when we talked about the assumption of Moses or not? Uh vaguely, <laughs> vaguely, I remember this. This is sometimes called the testament of Moses. We talked about it not too long ago. Do you remember when we did the Oneiders? Yes. You remember we talked uh, about? yes. When we were in. Wait, 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 wait for it. Wait for it. We were in. Was it like Third John, Second no. John? No, it's Peter. No. Is it Peter? No. Okay. Well, I'm just going to stop talking then. It, it, it Jude. was in J- Jude. Jude, Jude <laughs> well, gets weird. Jude's out there. Do you remember the whole story? So the assumption of Moses is about his body being assumed into heaven. And you remember yes. that whole thing about oh, yes. Michael and Satan fighting over the body yeah. of Moses? Yes. That That's either a reference to the assumption of Moses or it's a reference to a common tradition, right? In other words, Jude's referring to the same kind of thing that the assumption of Moses is writing about. But this is, this is the assumption of Moses, chapter 10, verse 1. It says, then his kingdom shall appear throughout all creation. And then Satan shall be no more, and sorrow shall depart from him. Then the hands of the angel will be uh, will be filled, who has been appointed chief, and he will forthwith avenge them of their enemies. For the heavenly one will rise from his royal throne. Now I want you to notice all this throne language too. We'll come back to that. He will go forth from his holy habitation with indignation and wrath on account of his sons. And the earth shall tremble to its confines; shall it be shaken? And the high mountains shall be made low; the hills shall be shaken and fall. And the horns of the sun will be broken. He shall be turned to darkness, and the moon will not give her light. Okay, when you hear that kind of language, what are you thinking? You're thinking Daniel, Daniel horns, Daniel, apocalyptic language. Yeah. You know, uh, the the moon will be turned to blood, and the circle of stars shall not be disturbed. Okay, now I have one more, which is not really intertestamental. 
Um, so I'm going to apologize for this, but there, you'll see the reason I chose this one. This is the third apocalypse of Baruch. <laughs> oh, classic. I loved his first two. Yeah, you really, you really should not read the third apocalypse of Baruch until you read the first and second apocalypse of Baruch. So it you can really know what's builds going on each other. You yeah, know, it's, it's, you know the characters are developed more in the third apocalypse <laughs> of Baruch. But uh, anyway, I mean, could you get it all out in the first two? Like, how many Baruchs are there? By so, the way? so the third apo- the per- third apocalypse of Baruch, it, it's a part of this Enochic tradition we've talked about for Enoch, right? And that all that kind of language. But um, that's in Jude too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> First Enoch, well done. But uh, the third apocalypse of Baruch is 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 almost certainly post New Testament. Okay, okay. Uh, sometime between the fall of Jerusalem in AD seventy into maybe the second or even third century. There's also there's also controversy about how much Christianity has influenced. Is this really Jewish literature or is this is this early Christian literature? There's debate about that as well. But I want you to notice this language, and it's going to get to finally. Finally, Mike will say, okay, I, this is what I was talking about. Here's what the third apocalypse of Baruch says, chapter 11, verse 1. The angel took me and led me thence to a fifth heaven. This is a R.H. Charles translation because that's what I had at hand. Uh, Charles Worth's translation is a little bit smoother. But anyway, he led me thence to a fifth heaven and the gate was closed. And I said, Lord, is not this gateway open that we may enter? And the angel said to me, we cannot enter until Michael comes. Uh, which Michael becomes this huge character, of course, who holds the keys of the, are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm kingdom of heaven. Oh my gosh. And we the finally said arrived. To me, we cannot enter until Michael comes who holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven, but wait and thou shalt see the glory of God. So why do we get this phrase kingdom of heaven? And, and where does it come from? Why, why is this used? Mm-hmm. What, what the reason is is because it avoids, and we see this, and I didn't, I didn't have access to these where I was today, so I would have referred to these two. There's a couple of, uh, a couple of um, rabbinic sources that use this phrase, the "kingdom of heaven" as well. And and the reason, of course, rabbinics are notoriously difficult to date, but the the reason that that we find this idea of kingdom of heaven is really it, the technical terms of circ- circumlocution. Uh, you know when when your mom when you when you finally figured out that you shouldn't be using those curse words and and your mom would smack you you know mm-hmm. finally you say well gee willikers and she lets you get away with that right mm-hmm. I, I remember you saying gee willikers quite a bit uh, but, but was, it's a, yep <laughs> it's a circumlocution to avoid saying something that would be considered offensive mm-hmm. right so we do this all the time especially Christians are really good at it. Um, uh, <laughs> Ned Ned Flanders was a was a master yeah. of this, um, but it's these it's these phrases that we say. Jumping Jehoshaphat, mm-hmm. get it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Um, anyway, Jiminy Christmas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's these ways of saying things that aren't going to be considered offensive or or somehow going to be a blasphemous statement. But it still carries the same. <laughs> well, in, in our language, yes. So. One of the ways, and we see this in the New Testament as well, uh, in other places, one of the ways that this happened, you you might remember we've talked before about how careful people were about pronouncing the name of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would not say Yahweh, right? This, this was considered to them a very big deal that they did not want to use because they, did, they, they, they understood that this commandment was do not use the name of Yahweh your God in vain. 
right? So they wanted to make sure they were not misusing the name of Yahweh. And so they would use a circumlocution, and one of those that they would use is heaven. They would talk about, and technically the phrase is not kingdom of heaven, it's the kingdom of the heavens. Uh, that, that's that's what they would say. You know, it's it's, it's the place where God is. Uh, and, and you see even Jesus using this kind of language when he says the one who's in the presence of the angels, right? Or, um, uh, you know, this one who's seated on the throne. You, you find all these ways to talk around <laughs> this idea, the one who's in heaven, right? Or a voice comes from heaven uh, and says this. So, so the kingdom of heaven is really kind of a circumlocution for the kingdom of God. Now, this gets a little bit difficult, and there's going to be some people who are going to kind of disbelieve this, <laughs> and that's okay. But I think I can show, and I'm just going to do it very briefly today, that there are three phrases in the new t- in the Gospels. I'm going to say it in the Gospels. Let's just do that. There are three phrases that are used interchangeably. Okay. okay. Those three phrases are kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and the kingdom in, in an absolute sense. So the kingdom. Uh, and those three phrases, in other words, the kingdom without any any other kind of um, identifying word. Uh, so the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom are all used interchangeably in the Gospels. Now, I'm going to ask you an interesting question that, that I, I wonder if you've thought about. Because you mentioned... You mentioned this, that Mike was reading through the book of Matthew when he noticed this, this phrase, kingdom of heaven. How many New Testament, there's 27 New Testament books, as I'm, I'm sure you know. I didn't have to tell you that, Ryan. 27 New Testament books. Of those, how many do you think contain the phrase kingdom of heaven? What would be your guess? Uh, one. Exactly. Matthew... is the only one who uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Now, what's interesting is he also does, or we find at least in our, in our um, um, manuscripts of the, of the, the gospel of Matthew, we do find four times where the phrase kingdom of God is used. And there are other times we find just the kingdom, but he's the only one who uses this phrase kingdom of heaven. Um, and the way you could find this out, we've talked before about the Blue Letter Bible or other you know search engines. You can you can do this to find this out. Um, so let me give you an example where they're used interchangeably. Okay. Uh, you, you look up Mar- Matthew nineteen twenty three through twenty four. Okay. And this is the story. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? Yeah. Um, this is the story where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. You remember the whole thing about um, you know what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? And <laughs> And well, in Matthew, that's what it says. Yeah. yeah. And and so Jesus says, well, you 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 need to keep the law. You you know what the law says. And he says, well, I've done all these things. And he says, well, then you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And says he went away sad because he had great wealth. But then Jesus turns to his disciples. And he says this thing. So what does he say there? He says, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Again, I tell right. you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And that's Matthew 19, 20, what verse 23 through 24. Okay. So this is Mark 10, 24 through 25. Same situation, exact same parallel story. Here's what it says. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. So Matthew seems to be the one who uses this phrase kingdom of heaven. And and I'm telling you, this isn't the only occasion. We can look at, at dozens of times where this phrase in, in Matthew is used interchangeably with other accounts in either Luke or Mark uh, that use the phrase kingdom of God. So I think Matthew chose to use the circumlocution kingdom of heaven, but I think it is it is in terms of its, <laughs> let me get linguistic nerdy here for just a minute. In terms of its semantic content, in terms of the, its meaning is what I'm saying. It is identical. These phrases mean the same thing. Kingdom of heaven is equivalent to the kingdom of God. I don't think there's any kind of a of a thing other than him avoiding this idea of of saying kingdom of God. Now, there's probably a couple of reasons for this, or possibly a couple of reasons. There's a very early tradition, very very early tradition in the early church fathers, that Matthew was originally written in Aramaic. There, or there's some kind of Aramaic version that lays behind the Greek um, uh, Gospel of Matthew as we have it today. And if that is the case, then it, it could be because of the use of this idea of Adonai or Yahweh, as we've said before. And, and again, Shemaim, uh, heavens, is just a, a shorthand way or a, a circumlocution way to talk about God. The other, other possibility is because of Matthew's audience. Um, Matthew is understood to be written uh, primarily to to a Jewish audience, and and here's here's the main thing we've talked about this before. One of the main things is it's always interesting to look at when you're looking at the gospel side by side. You have to be careful first of all. We talk about that. We I know I've talked about that before, but we should right. say more about it. When you look at them side by side, what you're really looking for is to see if there are any kind of patterns or differences that you notice. And one of the things that we find in Matthew. And I've said it this way before. I, I know I have on this podcast. Is Matthew is sees everything as the fulfillment of Scripture, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Jesus and his parents are warned to go down into Egypt, and this was to fulfill the Scripture that says, "Out of Egypt I've called my son." Right? They they're called back out of Egypt, and you know, like everything that happens, Matthew says this was to fulfill the Scripture, and, and he'll quote Isaiah, he quotes Exodus, he quotes you know all over. And so his purpose is to show that Jesus is none other than this promised Messiah who 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 is fulfillment of Scripture of the Old Testament. So, so um, if he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience, it might be that he chooses to usually again. There's four times we have Kingdom of God in Matthew, but he usually uses this idea of Kingdom of Heaven. Now I've taught that in class hundreds of times. And I've had some people object because they have been taught by their preacher or their church or whatever that there is a semantic difference. There's a, there's a content difference between the phrase kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. But it, when you look at the gospel side by side, it is very, very difficult to come to that conclusion is what I'll say. Thoughts on that or questions? Yeah, or I, well, I, I think it's um... – yeah, we can get caught up on particular words, and we, right. can, you know, and, and again, we've talked about this before that even in our cultural context, we put so much pressure sometimes on words that it means something. Like sure. we've associated heaven, or as we talked yeah. about in John, fa- my father's house. You know what right, I mean? Like we right. associate to these 
certain concepts and ideas. And so I think it's really good for us to come back and look at this and to see those side yeah. by side yeah. that, you know, while we sometimes want to push and squeeze and pull at them to mean something right. different, as we look at these gospels right next to each other, that it is interchangeable. It's a circuit circle locution. Is that what you're saying? Circum circumlocution. Yeah. Oh, circumlocution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a word. It, same meaning. It's, it's yeah. a way of talking around it. A locution. It just means yeah. something you're saying, and it's a way of kind of you know saying around it. We we do we do it all the time. Being around with, the bush. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, like, kind of. Basically, it and and we we do it not only to avoid offensive things, but sometimes we will use shorthand ways of talking about things as well. But yeah. But no, I I, I think that's. You know, I, I can't say I've given much thought to it. You know what I mean? Like that distinction right. before or, um, but to see that the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and kingdom of heaven are, have very similar, or at least how the gospel writers have sure. used them as the interchangeable. So let me say one more thing, because Mike still be maybe yelling, this still isn't what I really wanted to know, but, uh, heaven, Probably. heaven. I mean, as most of our <laughs> listeners start heaven, like, this isn't what I wanted. Heaven is talking about the abode of God. That That's where God for lack of a better term, lives, right? That's, that's it's, yeah, where it's God is, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, and that's what we mean by the heavens. Um, and, and so, again, I think ke- kingdom of heaven is just a way to talk about the kingdom of God, just a way to, to, to talk about that. But I do want to go on and say at least one more thing, and that is that often when we use the phrase kingdom, and, and I can remember as a kid, I was introduced to this phrase, you know, kingdom come. Uh, you know, I'm usually, you know, dad saying, I'm going to knock you into kingdom come. Mm-hmm. And and so we thought about kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God as a future reality. And I'll say that there are still some groups and some churches and some individuals who think about it primarily in this way, but that doesn't seem to match up with the teaching of Jesus. Um, Jesus seems to talk about the kingdom. I'm going to be careful how I say this. When Jesus is talking about it, it seems to be either a present or at least a near reality. So I gave you Matthew 3, 1 through 3. This is the this is the first time we find this phrase in Matthew, kingdom of heaven. So read, read that for us if you don't mind. Yeah. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Okay. So he says the kingdom of heaven is near. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Mark chapter nine, verse one. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. So, you know, Jesus is saying this is something not far distant. This is something that is that is very near. Um, I think it's is what is the next one I have there. Mark fourteen twenty five, something like that. Yep. Um, Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine till that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. And again, this is one of those we think about. Was he talking about when we all get to heaven? Right. But I think it's actually not unlike what we talked about with John 14. It's talking about his resurrection and when I enter the kingdom. So this is why I think Jesus talks about the kingdom is very near is I think he's talking about something that he is coming to do. He is going to, and here's a fancy term we use for this. He's going to inaugurate the kingdom in his in his action on the cross, uh, and and it's it, is it, it's is it, is it his action on the cross or is it his resurrection? His resurrection. I mean, technically, okay. it'd be his resurrection that's going to be the fulfillment of that. Because you know, as I've said before, you know, if he just dies and doesn't raise from the dead, it's just another 
Roman crucifixion, right? Right. But but it's the death, burial, and resurrection. The death is important, right? Because it is it is a uh, we believe um, some kind of a substitutionary atonement. It is it is the resurrection is its victory over the grave. Again, we've talked about atonement theories before. I don't I don't right. want to be uh, exclusive here, but but it is it is this idea that he has he has conquered he has conquered the grave and he has inaugurated a new way of being. Uh, in into into reality, um, and, and that's what I think we have. I want to look at this at least this one more passage, uh, and I know we're kind of getting long on time. There's at least a couple different more ideas that I want to I want to bring up here. Well, actually, look at Matthew ten five through eight. I think that's an important one. Go ahead and yeah. look at that first. Uh, these twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions: Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message: The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. Okay, so he's he sends out the seventy-two, and there's the message. And and and, and I should have said this earlier. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, again, interchangeably, are are central to Jesus' teaching. And he says, this is the reason I came. When he sends out the 12, he says, you teach about the kingdom of God. When he sends out the 72, he says, teach about the kingdom of God. The very last thing he says, if you look at Acts chapter 1, it says he spent 40 days with the disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was central to, to what he was trying to say. And, and so I think it's important that we understand uh, understand what it means, I think. But the gospel story really begins with expectation, we talk about the messianic expectation, but there's also this expectation of God bringing his kingdom. The messianic expectation is a part of that because mm -hmm. the Messiah is none other than the king of the kingdom, right? right. That's, that's what the anoint. When we say we believe Jesus is the, the Christ, we, we the believe he is the, the anointed king of the kingdom, that he is the one who's been sent to establish this eternal kingdom. And I mentioned thrones and... Um, reign or rule all these are kind of inter dominion all these are kind of interchangeable concepts that that this is what this is what Jesus is, is bringing so let me look at this one more i love this passage matthew chapter 19 verses 20 20 verse 28 go ahead and just read that for me real quick let me get there <laughs> sorry matthew 19:28 yeah that's all right and we're going to see this image of reigning and, and sitting on a throne here. Yeah. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judge the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, judging so, the twelve tribes of yeah. Israel. And so you see the, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. no, no, finish it. No, 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 you only want me to read that verse. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, no, go I'm ahead. Fine. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So it's this idea of king reigning, of sitting on thrones, right? He sits on, the son of man is going to sit on a throne. But I want you to go back and look at that very first phrase again. What does it say at the renewal of all things? That's one word. Okay. Renewal of all things is uh, is one word in Greek, and and that word is used twice in the uh, New Testament. <laughs> I tell you, these Greeks. I know. How they? I know. How they pull this off? <laughs> and and it has this idea, the renewal, the rebirth. We could say the rebirth of all things, the the remaking of all things. Now that's the future expectation that we talk about, right? Mm -hmm. um, this word. Let me before I leave this. It's. Uh, uh, 
palingenesia, uh, palingenesia, however, depending on how you'd say it. But but it's it's all things being reborn or all things being renewed is is the idea that he has here, and he talks about it as a specific thing. You know, in the renewal of all things. This word's only used twice, and I'm gonna. This is this is a little Easter egg that I'll leave for at least I at least know one person who will know the answer to this. But um, the only other time it occurs in the New Testament, you guys can see you can use your blue letter Bible skills maybe to find this out too. The only other time this word occurs in the New Testament is in my favorite passage in the entire Bible, and uh, that passage. Uh, maybe I'll talk about it next week, but that passage. I think if we only had, if we didn't have anything else in the rest of the New Testament, if we only had that passage, it would be enough for us to understand at least the the outline of what it is that God is doing. Um, but this word is just is just an incredible word. Anyway, I didn't mean to get 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 so flustered there, but That's but there's right. this idea of of sitting on the thrones, right? So the king is is Christ, and usually a kingdom is aware <laughs> when we think about kings. And again, we just we're just not used to this language of kings. They they would have. I mean, when when you talked about a king in the Old Testament, or when you talked about a king even in the in the the first century, people knew what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, they knew the idea. Uh, we're just we, you know we don't think about that language, but usually you think about a kingdom being aware, having boundaries, right, and having borders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about a people associated with that. In other words, they're the people who who bow their knee. Uh, where is this kingdom then? Is this kingdom a, a place is the idea. Uh, and, and I love this. And I had a student who several years ago used this. And it just really, I think it really helps in, in thinking about this. Think about what we pray in the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Or Lord's Supper, the Lord's Prayer. Duh. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, what, what do we pray? Thy will um, be done. Thy will be done. On earth. Right. But, but before that, Thy what do we say? Come. Thy kingdom come. And, and I, I say it this way, namely, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I see the kingdom of God, how I would understand kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, the where <laughs> mm-hmm. is wherever God's will is being accomplished. God's kingdom is where his authority is being exerted, Right. Okay. Uh, or 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 being acknowledged, maybe a better way to, to understand or to, to to talk about it. Um, so it is it is where God's uh, authority is is acknowledged. Um, so we bow our knee to to, to God. It um, <clears throat> you know it has been put this way <clears throat> that the kingdom moves from one human heart to the to another, which I think is a beautiful way to to describe it. Um, it, it's a place where we have relinquished our own, you know, we're in rebellion against God. In other words, we're saying we're the authority, which goes back to the garden. But the kingdom of God is where we're saying we relinquish control or authority of our own lives and we give it to you. Um, and, and so we're going to allow you to reign in us and, and among us. So mm. thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, so you see it as as we think about this. Do you think this as like uh, it is here, but not? You know, is it, I mean, this is kind of an eschatology. Like yeah. it's a uh, realized, and that like the kingdom of God is here. Right. Kingdom of heaven is here. 
and it also is something yet to come. And that's that's we often say it's the already not yet, right? Mm-hmm. Let, let me show you what Jesus says about this. This is this is Luke seventeen. We'll close with this passage. I know we've done a lot of passages today, but mm-hmm. Luke seventeen twenty. It says, once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. <laughs> so this is not a new question, right? And you see, again, you see that expectation. The Pharisees were, they believed that there was going to come a time. And, and here's what I think they saw. Well, all of them talk about the kingdom, right? Um, John, John and James, when you enter into your kingdom, Jesus, because we believe you are the Christ, allow us to sit at your right hand, at your left hand, because you're going to be on the throne of the kingdom. And they're thinking in terms of something a lot like what David did, I think, uh, making a place of peace on earth where, um, you know, there's going to be a a rule of God's people, Israel, probably the descendants of Israel. Right. And and um, oh, I said I was going to do one more passage. I'm actually going to do a couple more passages after this. I forgot one thing I have to I have to say, but but. This idea of an expectation of the kingdom coming, we see in the Pharisees as well. And so Jesus replies to them, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is. Hmm. So it's not going to be something you're going to see physically in the way that you'd see a king riding in, (laughs) I guess, to Jerusalem on a donkey. But, you know, uh, because the kingdom of God, he says, is in your midst is the way the NIV, where we could read this, the kingdom of God is among you. So the kingdom of God is, again, I would say wherever people have have relinquished their own allegiance um, for placing their allegiance, saying, I'm going to follow Christ, I'm going to follow the, the king. Mm-hmm. Um and that's what, you know, we've talked about Tom Wright before. We've talked about James K. A. Smith when they talk about the kingdom of gospel. This is what they mean, that the good news is that God's promised Messiah has come into the world and we are following him as he puts everything. And that's the the palingenesia, right? Mm-hmm. When all things will be renewed. He's putting all things back into the into the proper place with him as the center, which is the book whole book of Revelation. Um, just to bring it back, what's it? Yeah. The, what's it? What's at the center in the book of Revelation? Is a throne, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And, and the lamb. one who's, the one who sits on it, and the lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so things are going to be put back into their proper place. Anyway, go ahead. What, what were you yeah, saying? I was going to say so. Like as we're reading this uh, again, this is the Luke uh, chapter seventeen. Mm-hmm. Uh, 21, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. You'd say that we could replace, I mean, not that we're going to do it, but kingdom of heaven is in yeah, your midst. Absolutely. So, so as we think about this, kind of coming back to Mike's question, heaven is a place, you know, like, because that was one of his questions. He's, he, he was, right. His question was, is, is Jesus, when he's introducing or talking about heaven or the kingdom of heaven is he actually speaking of heaven as a place or is it more of a spiritual reality that we're actually living out now so i, I guess mm-hmm. the answer is yes <laughs> so both of those questions it, it is so so here's the connection right it is it is your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven <laughs> right mm-hmm. heaven is already under god's authority and under god's control mm-hmm. uh it is the earth that's in rebellion to him. And by the earth, I mean the people, the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, we go back to Genesis. And again, 
our rebellion that has continued down to you and me. Um, and, and so when we relinquish that authority, I, I was thinking about this line. This is a very preacherly line, but you know, I said that revelation is putting everything back the way it's supposed to with the throne at the very center. Well, it's moving us off that throne, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. Uh, it's, we're not the <laughs> center of the universe. Hate, hate, hate to wake, hate to wake it up and let you know, but you are not the center of the universe. Um, God is, and, and, and his Messiah is, are, uh, they, they are the center and, and we, what happens, you know, when we see this image at the beginning of the book of Revelation is the elders fall down, they give up their crowns, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're not the, the kings. Um, they lay them before his throne and then all of creation, all of God's people, and then all of creation in turn uh, acknowledges uh, God's sovereignty and God's dominion. So... Here's how I would say it is that we might talk about the kingdom as inaugurated, as begun, but not yet consummated, mm-hmm. uh, not yet fulfilled, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, it, it's already, but not yet, is the way we would say this. So Jesus talks a lot about kingdom stories. Maybe we'll do another episode just on that. What what is what are Jesus' parables? We call them kingdom right. parables. What this do they what the teach kingdom us? kingdom is like. Yeah. Kingdom, well, what do you, can, give me a couple. Kingdom of heaven is like what? Oh, you can't think of anything right don't, now. Per, I, Pearl of great price, right? What yeah. are we going to say? I No, I'm just... Yeah. You're so putting many. me on the spot. I, <laughs> stop. Kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. He goes and sells everything he has, right? Mm-hmm. Kingdom of heaven is like a woman breaking bread. That's one of my favorites. Uh, she puts a huge amount of yeast into it. Um, Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of your garden seed, yet you plant it, it becomes a, a tree and all the birds of the air. And Luke says the, from the east and the west, get it, mm-hmm. uh, can come and take rest in their branches. So he uses all of this language and coded language to talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, but it is, it's, an, it's being established here on earth through all of those, in, in all of those, in, in all of us and through all of us. Um, and so that's what I think it's talking about um, when we see this this language that the kingdom uh, is ever expanding, right? It's 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 continuing and it's growing uh, in our midst. So I do have one more thing I need to talk about. Uh oh, it's a dirty little secret about the kingdom. Whoa! And <laughs> and uh, what? So I've talked a lot about the gospels. What gospel have I not mentioned today? Jan. The gospel I always of talk John. about the gospel of John. Yes. So the kingdom of heaven is all over the gospels except the gospel, the gospel of John. Hmm. Now, the word kingdom occurs exactly five times in the gospel of John, but it's only in two places. Do you, do you know where they are? I won't put you on the spot. John chapter three, Nicodemus uh, comes and he asks about inheriting the kingdom of God, right? Or inheriting the kingdom. And and so that's in John chapter 3. The only other place is in John chapter 18. I think it's a verse 34. So if you want to turn, see if, yeah. you, see if that's right. I didn't write it down, but I think it's 1834. Um, and this is where Jesus appears before Pontius Pilate. And you remember the whole issue there is that there are people who are claiming that saying that he Jesus is claiming to be a king and um, 
And so Pilate asked him, are you a king? Hmm. And, and he says, well, is this and, your idea or did others tell me about you? You know? Yeah. And that's so 34, what, 36 says, Jesus said 36. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It is where my servants would fight to prevent if it were, if, my it were. Ser- if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Okay. And actually, interestingly enough, kingdom is used twice there in the NIV. In the Greek, basileia, which is a Greek word for kingdom, is used three times in that verse. So so the word basileia only occurs five times in the Gospel of John, and three of them are in that verse. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, he says, he repeats kingdom there, then then uh, my followers would fight to, to uh, uh, protect me. Uh, but as it is, my kingdom is from another place. So here's where I wanted to end with that, is that I think that answers Mike's question, is where is the, where is the kingdom? <laughs> it's not of this world, right? It, it, it is it is from another place. And and it is a spiritual reality, I think, where where followers of Jesus are bringing the kingdom. We're praying for God's strength and we're praying that God would um bring his kingdom from heaven to earth. Um you know, and 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 you know, it's not about well, yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of ways we could talk about. It. We think sometimes about escaping the earth to get mm-hmm. to heaven, where I think the gospel is really, and this is this is what we mean when we talk about the, the 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 kingdom gospel. The gospel is that the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. Uh, it is about um, the 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 sick being made well and the lame being able to walk and the dead being raised. Uh, as Jesus says elsewhere, this is the content of, of what it means for bringing the kingdom. And so we become kingdom agents, right? We become people who are bringing the kingdom, as we've said before, uh, in in all places. So hmm. that's good. That's, <laughs> that's good. all I have to say about that. Well, I like that dirty little secret thing there at yeah. the end with John. You know, yeah, I got to bring that, in John at some point, even I'm, if he doesn't talk about the kingdom of heaven. We got to bring him it's in. The Ryan so. and Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro about John. Yeah. About John. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. No, it's all good. Well, Brian, that's great. You know, I think this is, uh, it's one of those things, you know, it's a, it's that careful reading again. You know, yeah. some of it is looking at the Greek, but some of it is, yeah. even in our English, we start to see sure. some of those patterns in there and that careful reading. Yeah. And I think, you know, is, you know, I don't, I don't know if you'd always say this, but, as, you know, if, if you're struggling with something Jesus is saying in one of the Gospels, <laughs> look at how it's said in the other Gospels. It might help illuminate. <laughs> right. Right. Some of that that crossover there. So, well, Brian, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate no it. And uh, I'll see you next Tuesday. All right. I'll see you then. See oh, ya. we forgot to say. Oh, go. If you like this, share it. Oh, yes. <laughs> if you like this, share it. Um, you can sign up for our email newsletter, right. which has kind of been iffy. I agree. Uh, I need to send uh, something. Yeah. Um, but you can also, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, you can support us by going to the BibleBeastar.com. Yeah. Click in the upper right-hand corner. Click up there. Uh, we have a T-shirt going out to someone here very soon. One of our supporters nice. is getting their T-shirt. Ooh. Coffee mug. Send going us out a picture some- with it. Send us yes. a coffee mug. Yeah. It's the shirt that's going to sweep the nation. All right. So, I don't know. I'm just saying stuff. I'm wrapping okay. it up. Well, you know, here's the thing I was going to say, too. Send your question in. And who knows? Two years later, we may answer your question. <laughs> 
Yes, or sooner, maybe. Yes. Maybe sooner. We're, we're, looking for, we're looking for good topics to talk about. Yeah. So if you got a topic, please uh, please let us know. We'd, we'd love to hear your feedback and um, what we can do to make this better and what topics you like to hear. <laughs> what topics you'd like to hear Brian talk about and me stumble around on. Oh, so. come on. All right. Well, thanks so much, Brian. And I will, uh, I'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Bye.